0: Our John Nodge Podcast. With your host, Hot the Hack.
1: A very warm welcome to the first Hodge on Nodge podcast. First lesson in podcast land is take yourself off mute when you want to present your guest. And by the way, I am excited for this debut podcast. And do you know why? Because I have an absolute belter of a guest. Without any further ado, welcoming former Norwich City boss Alex Neil, who's sporting a tan befitting of not really a Scotsman mate. How have you managed to get that in this weather?
0: Uh, Just well, pressing really. Um, Obviously, we locked down, haven't managed to get away, but it's been nice for a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, I'm nicely bronzed up.
1: Aye, no, it's excellent. Um, In terms of the, in terms of the whole sort of lockdown thing, how how have you kind of been handling that? Because I think everybody's had it a bit hard over the last sort of year and stuff. How's it been?
0: Um, Well, I can't really complain because for the majority of the time we've been working, so. It keeps you occupied. You get out of the house. You get to work. You do your job, and um, yeah, it's not been too bad. I think it's been more difficult for the kids than that. You know, they've been off school and Aye. try and occupy themselves in the house all the time. So, um, but yeah, not not too bad for us. Uh, we've been quite fortunate.
1: Has it been nice for you to get a break? See, see the wins a wee bit more. Obviously, football schedule, particularly in the championships, really demanding and, and time-wise. So, well, has it has it been nice for you to have a wee bit more time in the house?
0: Yeah, well, I think the pandemic, everybody was in limbo, really. We didn't know what was going on. You know, we didn't know what the next step was, when it was going to come. So, yeah, I, I think I enjoyed that time, really. You know, I just it gave us a little bit of a break. Um, and, and, and now, obviously, I'm on a little bit of an enforced break. So, um, yeah, got a bit of time to spend with the kids, which is great.
1: Superb. Right, let's kick off with the actual podcast stuff. So, I want to talk a bit about you. So, people that don't really sort of... Know your career pre Norwich City. Maybe don't know much about what you were like as a player. Now you were, in my opinion, the definition of a midfield general, just barking orders at everybody around about you and making sure that the whole thing kind like the whole system works. Basically, the nexus that all the planets can orbit around about. Um, now, with that in mind, did you always have it in your head that you were going to be a manager? Like, was that always the the sort uh, of the progression you expected to make? Or did it just kind of come about, obviously, with the way situation went at Hamilton?
0: No, it just sort of happened. It wasn't something that I'd planned for. If I'm being honest, I'd planned to sort of... Um, Billy Reid was the manager at the time. And, and my hope was, because I had a couple of bad hip injuries towards the end um, in my career, probably about 28-ish, I had a couple of bad hip injuries and I was out for quite a while. And Billy, to be fair, gave me a chance to start coaching. So I was taking the 17s and then I moved up into the under-20s and I was doing that. So my plan really was to, was to coach under Billy. You know, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about managing at all. If I was um, potentially going to manage, I, I would have thought it would have been maybe 10 years time beyond when I'd actually started. Um,
1: really? That long? That's interesting.
0: Um, yeah, well, I think if you look at most, my I, I think my, my career's been quite strange in the fact that I know I might not look it, but I'm not even 40 yet. You know, I'm not 40 <laughs> to next month.
1: Easy paper I'm, run, Alec.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I've managed about 500 games. So, um, yeah, it, it sort of, it happened a hell of a lot quicker than what I'd even thought, because I hadn't thought about it. And I, I found myself really fortunate, to be honest, in terms of getting the opportunity. And, and everything went, um, certainly at the start, everything went remarkably well for, for quite a long period of time. It was about three years I found myself managing the, the Scottish Championship to basically, I think it was two, two and a half years later, I was managing the Premier League in England.
1: Aye, uh, it, was, it was a meteoric rise. I mean, that's that's definite. Yeah. Now, I mean, with that in mind, do you think it all kind of happened a bit too quickly? Maybe a bit of the victim of your own success in a way?
0: Um, Yeah, I think now as you get older and you can reflect more, then certainly, you know, I think it all happened so quickly. But the, the simple fact is, though, I'd earned the right to be there. I had them promotion with, with Hamilton. We then went on and started the season extremely successfully. I then went to Norwich mid season and we, we, we put an unbelievable run together to get ourselves promoted. Um, so it was one of these strange ones you just sort of run weight and ride weight. I mean, there, there isn't really anything in your brain at that point that's thinking, oh, hold on, this is happening too quick. You, you just sort of go with it and think, Yeah, that well, this is what seems to be going and, and and I just embraced it really.
1: How come you took so naturally to it, do you think? Like, I mean, I obviously could kind have of made the, the week up there about you being a midfield general, but it's a it's a very different thing managing a team on the park to managing a team off the park. So yeah. how how come you think you, you sort of took to it so naturally and had such success early on?
0: I, I think like you said, and I I wouldn't necessarily decide myself as a midfield general, but what I would say was, how would
1: you describe yourself then?
0: I don't really know. I think that's a difficult question to ask someone.
1: Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I cause It's for other folk to say, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and, 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 and I wouldn't like to see see myself sort of visualise myself blowing my trumpet type thing. So I, I think where my strength probably lay was the effect that I had on others rather than what I actually did as a player, if that makes any sense.
1: No, totally. It's the, it's the Roy Keane thing, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I, I think that I influenced other people around me by. Barking out orders or whatever you want to call it, uh, organising, talking, um, the, the, the sort of leadership skills. So, And, and to be fair to you, Billy Reid was a massive part of that because he, he encouraged me to be that type. Um, but Billy made me captain, I think, when I was about 24. And that really was the turning point in my career. You know, with How people. so? Well, because at Barnsley I was there, but I, I played quite a few games. I played over 100 games at Barnsley, but um they went to Mansfield. Got a bit of shock because I had to drop down a level, um, and I thought to myself, I, "I need to basically get my finger out a little bit." Um, and then when I got the captaincy, responsibility changed me quite a lot. I think you know because I think to that point I was quite a selfish player. I'd just play for myself and wanted to play like a lot of players. I think Do I mean because mm-hmm. although it's a team game, you're self-employed as a footballer. Do I mean the simple fact is, if you're part of a team, which is great, but if you're not playing. it it can be quite a lonely place at times if you're a player because there's 25, 30 lads in that changing room and if you're not one that's featuring regularly then it's it's not a good feeling.
1: No, granted. Now, you mentioned Billy Reid. Was he the biggest influence in in terms of your career, looking towards the sort of that transition to management? Was he the biggest influence? Was there a lot you can kind of borrowed for him, or did you take sort of different bits from from different experiences you'd had? Did you look to sort of the likes of your Sir Alex Ferguson's? I don't know, Gumbach, Jock Steen, anybody like that. Like, I mean, was there any particular? sort of people that you, you tried to borrow from and base your managerial approach on, or was it very much your kind of identity sort of thing?
0: Well, I, I think what you do well, I can only really speak for myself, but I would surmise that anybody would do the same. I think it's really extremely difficult to replicate anyone. You know, I think because you, you don't know how they're going to react in certain circumstances, albeit you've been exposed to it. But I think you certainly couldn't replicate a Salax Ferguson, for instance well no. for everyone, I was never really I was never in his company so all I'm really doing is is based on what my interpretation of what he would do if I tried to do that so I think what you do is you pick up little bits for everybody that you work from things that you would probably like things that you didn't like and then you try and implement that but I think there's there's another thing particularly when you're starting is um is your just your personality and your character will always come through mm-hmm. you know and, and that's something that um irrespective of who you watch with and who you try to cherry pick things off of, you're not going to be similar to them as a person a lot of the time. I mean your Aye. personal traits are going to be different. And I think certainly to start with, um I was certainly probably more I wasn't as, as sort of probably thoughtful and even even to a certain extent laid back now. Uh, I'm certainly more laid back now than what I was then when I started. You know, but <laughs> see the strange thing with that is Mm-hmm. I think if I didn't have that trait at that time, I'm not sure how successful I would have been. So it was a probably necessary evil for me because you've got to remember, when I took my first job, I was 31. To Aye. try and respect out of players, who, some of which are older than us. I had Jason Scotland, who'd played in, in the Premier League in England and, and, and was, was a traffic player. And he was five years older than me. And, and I'm dropping him out of the team and telling him how to play. And I mean it's, And even when I moved to Norwich, it was very, very similar. You know, the a lot of guys that had played at a better level than I was managed to play at and and I had to organise them and, and, and try and put my point across to them oh, at that.
1: That. Yeah. That that that's a really interesting point. So, in terms of that, how what was it about your character that allowed you to kind of transcend that? Do you think? Because you're right, someone that's sort of comfy Hamilton Ackeys and and that kind of thing, play, playing sort of at a lower level in England, suddenly um, due to that meteoric rise, managing Premier League players, international stuff like that. How do you manage to to transcend that? I
0: didn't really care if i'm being honest <laughs> no, that's probably the best way to describe it in terms of meeting better players or bigger players or players who have achieved a lot or like their standing or their um how people would perceive them didn't really bother me do i mean as far as i was concerned when i walked there but player um mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong over the course of time you create relationships with players as you go on so you judge them in regards to your relationship with them, rather than whether they were a good player or not, you know, it's um, so. But but I think the one thing I did have in my favour was that I wasn't really bothered. I was just so driven and try to make the best of an opportunity that presented itself for me, you know. And and, and that's that that's basically where it stems from.
1: So let's talk about that opportunity presenting itself. How how did the Norwich thing come about? And so obviously you you taking Aki's to sort of unforeseen heights. I can't even remember the number of years it was, but it was the first one at Celtic Park in forever. Um, third in the, in, the, in the Scottish Premiership, which, well due respect to Hamilton, Ackies, is is well above the, the, the level they should be operating at. So, uh, I mean, with that, how did the Norwich thing come about? How did the club first make contact well, and, well, and approach?
0: It's, it's quite a strange story because he's, he's obviously one of my best mates now, but um, I had... I had a player in, in my system at Hamilton, and his uncle contacted me and says, listen, can I come in to see you? So, And he was an agent at the time, so I presumed that he was going to come in and talk about his nephew. Um, mm-hmm. So when he came in, he speak to me. I had my assistant with me because I brought him in just for experience, because both of to be honest, at that point, we hadn't had a lot of experience. You know, we'd, we'd gained promotion at that stage, um, but I, I wanted to include him in things as much as I could. So when he came in the office, he just sat down and he says, um, can I speak to you privately? So then my mind started racing right away, and I'm thinking this isn't just a normal friendly chat about how's he doing, blah, blah, blah. So so I got Frankie to leave, and then he just said to me, he says, uh, have you got an agent? And I says, no, I don't. He says, well, I've potentially got interest um, in terms of would you be interested in going elsewhere? And then he obviously mentioned the, the Norwich thing, and to be honest, I didn't believe him to start with.
2: That
1: Jenkins was a wind up. Yeah,
0: I it, yeah, I did, Yeah, I thought it was a wind up, um, and I think he thought that. I, well, he obviously knew I did because he says, "Listen, my, obviously my nephews here I'm not going to come away with this if if it's not going to be have any anything sort of in terms of fruition at the end of it." Um, and that's how it sort of came about. And and then obviously I was at a game with Ronnie, and I, we got a phone call um, from Norwich to Ronnie, who who was obviously owned the Hamilton. And yep. just requested that they could talk to me, and, and to be fair to Ronnie, I mean, like, I've still got like Ronnie, I've I've always got on great with Ronnie. You know, I still talk to Ronnie regularly, um, and he basically came over, sat down, and he says, um, basically, it looks like you're going down to Norwich to speak to them, and didn't even bat an eyelid in terms of uh, like should you go or should you? it was basically a case of Norwich on the phone, let us get you ready and get you down there and, and speak to them, see or as
1: well, that's brilliant that you had that kind of support, and I think I think they had they must have had the thing that they they couldn't really stand in your way. But you bring up the topic of windups, so that makes me think like, what's the best windup you've ever been a part of, either as the victim or the perpetrator?
0: I, I, if I've been honest, I'm not that type. I, I don't, no. I don't, I don't really subject anybody to windups.
1: Um, right. So, what's the best one you've seen then? Uh... <laughs> Must be a good story or two in the vault.
0: Yeah, I think the, the the ones that I've seen that have probably been the best ones are always the ones where other players phone somebody up, kidding on they're a manager of some kind, being <laughs> they listen, we're interested in you. But and and particularly if you're at a smaller club and it's they're pretending they're somebody for a bigger club and the players like, oh, Yeah, 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 I'll meet you. Where do you want me to go? And do you know what I mean? All that sort of stuff. But um yeah, I I was certainly as a player. Like I say, I, I was probably quite highly strong as a player. I was um in probably intense is the right word. You know what I mean? I was right. really focused. Um and I tried to lead by example and and yeah, I didn't really get involved in that that sort of stuff so much.
1: The tomfoolery of, of, of these kind of people. No, I fair enough.
0: I didn't mind it and I liked to night early as much as anybody else, but um when it came to playing, I was I was very serious.
1: Geng is an important part of a dressing room, though, to have that sort of frivolity and kind of joviality among the characters, and and to have a few folk that are just architects of nonsense.
0: Yeah, of course I do. I, I think that you need those types, but equally you need the other types as well. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think if you've just got that all throughout your group, focus can be something that's hard to then like apply when you need to. But I, equally, I think if it's too serious. Um, then you naturally need a bit of enjoyment and a bit of relaxation and and uh, but I'm sure you'll have mates that'll they'll naturally bring that when they're in the company. I mean they don't even need to try, that's just the type of person that they are. Um and I think it's difficult to change the type of person you are. And unfortunately that that's that's um I think that's just that's just my makeup.
1: Not granted, right, so on just just sticking on that for a wee minute. Norwich City, who were the kind of more sensible headed ones during your time there, and who were the biggest wind up merchants?
0: most sensible ones um i'd i probably put russell there because obviously russell was captain um, and, and was yeah i'd say russell was was very level-headed um i think johnny housen was very level-headed you know john john does Do- i think was a bit of a wind-up merchant when he went out and things but was quite quiet and about the place
1: really uh, Aye, he did not strike me as the type actually
0: yeah, no, I, that's I think,
1: interesting.
0: I think if he's out and about, he can get a little bit lively. If he's, if he's <laughs> but he's, um, but no, he's very quiet and about the place. I mean, got about his work the right way and, and was very good. So, um,
1: right, wind-up merchants, come on.
0: I'd probably say, I'm not even sure Wes was a wind-up merchant. I don't even know if I put him in that category. Um, he's funny though.
1: Like he's got a good yeah, sense of humor.
0: Funny. Yeah, yeah, he's he's very laid back. Wes, you know what I mean in terms of. Aye. How he goes about his stuff. Um, Loves
1: doing the press as well. Favorite hang yeah. in the world. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> You're lucky to get two words at him. Um, Big said was he was alright, but within his own group type thing. You know, I mm-hmm. think. That, um, yeah, to be honest, I'm casting my mind back now because it's quite a few years since, since I've been with the lads. But um yeah, they, they were they were a good group. Do I mean? Well, as they evidently showed, do I mean in terms of what
1: they produced? Aye. So what what was there? What was the kind of constitution of the dressing room when you arrived then? And look, was there an immediate impact that you had when you got there in terms of, like, well, I mean, the, the results would say, yes, there was, because obviously there was a, that meteoric run to, to Wembley. But in terms of the actual, I mean, we're talking about characters, we're talking about types of people, we're talking about that side of it. How did your character kind of influence the team? Do you think? What do you think you brought that managed to inspire that that run and that success?
0: Um, I, I think I probably brought a level of intensity that wasn't quite there at that time. You know, right. a, level, a level of focus, a level of determination, um, probably aggression. To be honest, you know, uh, I think the, the, the characteristics are something that I naturally had as a player um, mm-hmm. when it came to football. So. Yeah, I would probably say that. Organisation, you know, like you say, I was was more of a sort of dictator on the pitch in terms of telling people where to go. So that side came quite um, easily for me. And Players at that level don't need taught how to play football. You know, you hear a lot of the top managers saying that. You don't teach Wes Houlihan how to control the ball. Do I mean, He's, he's a magician in those type of areas. So what you need to do is... Get them into those type of areas as often as you can and let his sort of quality do the rest, if you like. You know, and, and I think that one of the biggest things that I had to do, and I remember my first, well, my first home game, obviously, the first game was Bournemouth,
1: um, which I spent in the stand in the first half and then sort of came down. But well, why did you come down, by the way? Like, because well, a, a few folk have mentioned that to me and they said that you were yeah. sitting kicking everybody or standing kicking everybody on the sidelines.
2: Yeah, well. What
0: happened was Johnny Housing get sent off. So Mike Field and the were doing the meeting the night before the game, um, which I got involved in, which I didn't intend to, but I did because I couldn't help myself. And <laughs> the, the next day, I think it was about 30 minutes in, Johnny gets sent off and I could, just, I was just looking down and I could see them looking up at me as if like, what would you want us to do type thing? And I'm thinking, well, I don't even really know anybody. So I went down to the sidelines to try and help. And I think I had Alex Tettie playing right back. I had Cameron Jerome playing wide left. I literally <laughs> played the, the players. So I moved people around. And I didn't know who, who they were. Um, but I could tell just by the 30 minutes that I seen what type they were in terms of, well, he can tackle, he can run, he can do this, he can do that. Um, yeah, it, it, and it ended up that Cameron cut in, scored the winner. Um, and, and we managed to win that game. But I, th- I think my first game was at home, I think, it was Cardiff. and We were winning 3-0. And they came back to 3-2. And the one thing that stood out to me right away was I, th- I think we needed to strengthen um, the back line. You know, I, th- mm-hmm. I, think, I think we had Russell, I think Martin Olsen, I think it was Stephen Whitaker and maybe Michael Turner. But Seb Song was on Launty Watford at the time, who were above us in the league.
2: Oh, ah, yeah,
1: that's know. an interesting situation. Sebba Song's an interesting one as well because uh, I think, did you leave him out for the first three games and then... I was, I was speaking to NCFC Numbers, who's, who's got loads of good Norwich stats, and he said he started 51 or 52 after that. So what was it about Seb that, that kind of caught your eye?
0: Well, he wasn't there. He, he was at Watford, like I say. So I was mm-hmm. looking at their squad, and I'm thinking, I probably need to strengthen that position. And then when I started looking at the players that I had, I noticed that Seb Besson was out in Watford, and he was playing every game. And they were doing mm-hmm. really well. He was left-sided centre-back. And I thought, I need to bring him back. But... There'd obviously been a little bit of previous before that that there'd been a bit of breakdown in, in, in relationships and communication, and Seb had been put out in loan, um, so that was something that I had to try and repair um, between some of the players, uh, and, and to give us the best chance. And and to be fair, when I sat some of the lads down and said to them, "Listen, our best chance we, we need to bring him back because he's going to give us a better opportunity to get up, and you need to sort of bury the hatchet." for um, so the greater good type thing and, and to be fair um, they, they embraced that and, and they got on with it
1: mm-hmm. and uh, well, that's, that's an important part as a manager is, is kind of amending those bridges and, and sort of doing that That that's that's an example I suppose of the kind of impact you had early, early on Russell Martin obviously springs to mind for this next question as, as one of the sort of true kind of architects of the the dressing room culture and 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 things like that but were there anybody else you kind of relied on as your as your sort of lieutenants in there really setting the standard and and, in terms of that intensity that you speak of
0: yeah i think there's lieutenants that that do it by influencing others and i think there's lieutenants that do it by playing as well as they can if that makes sense so Johnny, johnny Housen, for instance Johnny wasn't a player that really influenced other players. He more took care of his own bit. But if Johnny performed as well as he could, he would have a massive impact on the game. You know, and and, and so you, you would sort of feed into John because you know John could have a big influence because he was a very good player. Nathan Redmond was similar. You know, Nathan was only young at the time. And when he was on it, he was a big, big threat for us. Wes Holham was another one. Um, but then you had other guys who could influence others, like, say, Russell was, was a good example. Um, you had Lewis Graben, who, who, was, who was, a, he was a fundamental part, really, of the success at the start. And then we lost Lewis to ankle injury, and that gave Cameron the opportunity to come in and, and finish the season strongly for us. Um, so then you had Bradley Johnson, who, 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 was, um, who was very influential, both on and off the pitch. You know, I probably say Bradley was a bit of a joker. Actually, more I think about it,
2: um, <laughs> he was, ah, he seems
1: a type. He
0: was a very good character and about to change
1: them. You know? So, of that, of, of the kind of let, let's call them three groups across the across the three seasons. What what did you think was the most talented group of the of the Norwich players that you had? And is that the standout most talented group that you've ever worked with?
0: Um. It's hard to say. It, it is really, really difficult to say because I think there was there was a lot of players there that were, were very talented. And what will happen now is because some of the players have gone on and done really well, then people thinking them as they are at the moment rather than what they were then. Yes. So like your Ben Godfrey's and your James Madison's and guys like that who are traffic players and went on and done extremely well. At that point though, like young Ben, when I signed Ben, we got him for York for a hundred grand.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? So, so he was only a kid at the time, really, albeit he's turned into a, a, a terrific player now. Young James was similar. James, actually, the, the year we signed James, he broke his ankle that season and hadn't played a lot of football. I mean, he broke his ankle for Coventry, so I think he'd just came back and he'd featured in maybe like two games. Um, and we signed James that, that summer and then leading into that next season, obviously James has went on and, and really flourished and, and became a top, top player since
1: then. Aye, well, the Madison's a really interesting one. So just just to speak about him, he obviously went on, and not a great deal of time after you left the football club, went on to become Norwich City's record signing, uh, record sale, sorry. And, I mean, absolutely flourished at championship level. Now, obviously the Premier League, I, I can totally see the, the sort of argument, but what was it about him that you felt wasn't ready because, obviously, when up to Aberdeen showed, look, I, I mean, in terms of the Scottish Premiership, sublime talent. And if you're shown it at that level of the Scottish Premiership, it would suggest that if you well, can do it at the top that, end there, you can maybe do uh, it in the Championship.
0: This is where memories are frayed. I remember, <laughs> well, it is because this is true, I remember having a conversation. I phoned Derek McInnes, Aberdeen at the time, and James wasn't getting a game. Mm-hmm. So you read, you read all these articles about how Dale and, and, and James and they still speak and, and, and that he'd been playing and it. Der, James wasn't playing. I phoned Derek McInnes about the December and he hadn't played for about four or five matches. And um, he was talking about how he had to do a little bit more work off the ball and, and learn that side of the game and, and blah, blah, blah. And then James came back in the January and basically told me, I don't want to go back to Aberdeen.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, I want to stay here, I want to fight for my place, I want to play for Norwich. At that point in time, though, we had Wes, um, who obviously was starting to get older and and naturally was going to be a transfer of powers, if you like. We also had Alex Pritchard, who who was there at that point, Mm -hmm. um, who who was a good performer for Norwich when he played, Um, with the two Murphys coming through at the same time who were on the flanks. I think we just sold Nathan that summer. But what you needed to remember is, see the year that we came down, when you came down with your team, particularly David McNally had left, Jez Moxie had come in and then the club had decided that, that Jez wasn't right for them and then Jez had moved on. Behind the scenes wasn't quite settled, shall we say, you know, because David had left a massive vacuum when he left um, before we came down. But James was an excellent player. But if you look at that following season with how much impact and how well it did, you had J two Murphys who both moved to the Premier League. That team finished fourteenth.
2: Hmm. You
0: know what I mean? And when I left we were eighth, the simple fact is I couldn't afford because i because we came down with that team, I was never going to be given a fourteenth position finish. Aye. I was only going to leave before that. So well I left when we were eighth. So the point I'm making is though although James and the Murphys and all that were, were excellent players, they weren't ready to get the team back up that season. And my job and responsibility was to try and get the team straight back up. And if I didn't, mm-hmm. I was ultimately going to lose my job off the back here. So, we had a
1: conversation
0: at the start of the season um, with the hierarchy of the club. And I said to them, and I commented on this quite a bit, and I think it get taken that I was criticising the team or criticising the players at the time, which which I wasn't. And it, it, now in reflection, I think I can go back to it and address that more. But I was talking about the team getting too old at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I'd spoke about. And that's why my, like some of the signings I made were James, were the likes of Ben Godfrey. I mean, we're starting to bring some of the younger players in because the, the team at that point, a lot of them were in their 30s. Do you know I mean the likes of Dozer, the likes of Russell, the likes of Alex, the likes of Johnny House, you know and I mean Bradley Johnson. A lot of the lads were getting older and older as we were going on. Said the song, um, so so that was something that needed addressing. And to be honest, I think since since I've left, I think Norwich have done that remarkably well in terms of continually chipping the age of the squad down and and, and bringing fresh younger ones in. Um, and we, we'd spoke about a strategy at the start of that season about because we've we actually done a whole sort of um, sort of dossier that I put together talking about how many games it takes for young players to start being effective. You know, and we used to like say, knock Notcat, I think it was at Leicester at the time. And what mm-hmm. it showed nearly all the young players, they need about a hundred games before they can start really being effective at the level that they're playing at. And unfortunately for us, I think uh, the Murphy's had played about maybe 30, 40 games at the time. James had played about 50, 60 games at the time. And what I was saying to them was, listen, these are the next batch, but if we play them, they're not ready to get us up at the moment. So if our, if our outcome for this season is we need to go straight back up, these kids are not ready to do it. Mm-hmm. But in a year or two's time, you'll reap the benefits of how good these will be. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the basic, the conversation I you take, we want to go straight back up. Um, and I said, yeah, I understand that. And, and, and that's why the lads at that point in time maybe didn't play as much because um, when you go to any club, there's different parameters and different expectations of what you're trying to do. If you go in somewhere and say that you're, you're floundering in the league or whatever, they might say to you, hey, Listen, we need to build a team that's going to be really effective in a couple of years' time. And then mm-hmm. you get the building blocks together. And then I know going into Norwich, right, you're coming in, well, I think they were 10th or 11th in the league at that point, we want to go up. So all I, I and you just need to win. I mean, whatever, how you do it, you need to win the games. And and that, 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 at that time, was, was was a little bit different. But like you say, J- James, listen, you just need to look at James as a player, you know. And, and I'm sure a lot of the Norwich fans are looking and say, well, we had him for longer and didn't get to see his talent, and that's frustrating for them. And I get that. I really do get that. Um, but I just...
1: But, I mean... I was just going to say, me me and you both know sometimes there's a bit of snobbery in England about the Scottish football, all of that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm a great believer that that spell at Aberdeen might have made James Madison because it showed him that his technique wouldn't get him everywhere. You know what I mean? And it showed him that the the the, the hard sort of blood and snorters of Scottish football like that that can have, especially in a player that's a technician like James Madison, that can be the difference maker. Also. If you're not getting an Aberdeen's team, that creates a hunger. That creates a hunger and a desire to improve.
0: I, I, I think if you had to ask James, I think James wouldn't change his path for the world because it's gotten to where he is. You know, mm-hmm. and I think getting things handed to you too easily can can be a detriment at times. And I think the fact that he had to work harder to get into that team and be so effective, um, and, and I think people had a misconception as well that that me or James or me and James didn't really go on that that's entirely not true I spoke to James since I left on a few occasions about different things um so my relationship with James was good my relationship with his agent was good um so yeah there was no issues there there was no issues there at all and and, and he's shown now um how good a player or how much a talent he has got
1: Granted. Now you touched on the the let's call it the sporting and structure um, behind the behind the scenes. You mentioned Jez Moxey, David McNally. Uh, I suppose first question is how was your relationship with both of those guys, and and were were you happy with the support they gave you in terms of recruitment at, at the respective stages? Um, more so, more so, David probably in, with with that second part.
0: Yeah, I had a great relationship with David. D- David was um, very matter of fact, very. Um, very driven, very uh, very um, yeah, very intense as well. Um, so no, that relationship was great. You know, he, mm-hmm. gave, he gave me the opportunity to come down, which I'm forever grateful for. Um, I think I repaid that by by getting the team promoted for a position mm-hmm. point looked unlikely. Um, so yeah, no, we we had a very good relationship, um, and and obviously David leaving the club. I had no burn on that whatsoever. That, that was something that, that just... Were well, you
1: disappointed like, that it sort of turned out that way?
0: Hugely, hugely, because he, he was... Um, although I had a great relationship with Delia and Michael, they, they left the running of the club to David. You know, he he was the guy that, that basically ran the club if we talked about mm-hmm. at that point. Um, and he, he was sorely missed, in my opinion. You know, he, he was sorely... Because that, that, that vacuum was left there for... Quite a bit of time, even to the end of that season, um, and 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 they did try and obviously fill it with with, with people who were there, but it, it it didn't really it didn't really work. Um, and then the difficulty we had is we hired Jez, who who I got on with well and and had no issues with whatsoever. And I, I don't know what happened. I just I, it was a strange scenario with Jez because they seemed to come in and sort of be given the job and normally when you're given a job what you do is you go and you assess and then you start to say right this is what I need to do and you put your plan together and by the time Jess seemed to get to the stage where he was wanting to put his plan together I think the club had just decided that right we're not going to go with your plan so, so, so it was a really quite strange time at that point so you'd appointed somebody who well certainly when David was there was the most influential and strongest um, in terms of power at the club, without doubt, mm-hmm. and Jez get put in that position, but then got his power sort of stripped off him before he left. Um, so, so it was quite strange in that sense. I, I, I don't really, I, if I'm being honest, I couldn't tell you what happened with
1: that. Did it impact? Like, I mean, or I suppose a better question than did the impact is, did you manage to sort of fully shelter the, the the kind of the first team, the dressing room, the football side from that? And if so. Was that, was that a new challenge to you? How did you circumnavigate that?
2: Yeah,
0: it was, it was certainly a new challenge because I think that David had been there for seven years, so it, it was so embedded in, in how he worked things and how he did things, and and um, everybody knew that David was in charge. Do you know what I mean? The, the players knew David was in charge, the staff knew David was in charge, and... Um, and then when you go for having such a strong character to, to there being a vacuum left it's a really really strange thing um mm. people are vying to fill that vacuum aren't they you know that that's natural so you've got other players going on all over the place trying to um, influence different things um but yeah not was strange but i couldn't really tell you whether i shielded the players for it or not it wasn't really something we spoke about a lot obviously mm. know, David leaving. I've had spoke to anybody about it. it would probably be more Russell because he was a captain, but not to any great length. Because to be honest, it was more between David and and, and the owners at that point um, than anything else. I mean, I wasn't really involved in it. Jez as well was more between the owners and Jez. I wasn't really involved in that. So yeah, it, it was a strange. It was a strange time uh, off the pitch. So, Fair
2: play.
1: I want to touch upon the the, the, the kind of pinnacle period. So um, I don't know if you know this. You got more points for your first ten games than any other Norwich City manager in history with twenty five. You're also the only manager who's won eight of their first ten games in charge. Now that was the springboard for a, a, a historic run. Now if you're a Norwich City fan and you're going to write uh, a, a playoff. Winning run, then it's going to involve beating Ipswich and it's going to involve a, a historic day at Wembley. Now, talking about Wembley, uh, well, well, actually, let's deal with it, let's deal with the Ipswich stuff first. So, those were arguably the most important and most intense derby clashes in the history of the East Anglian Derby. Now, how did you find that? Obviously, you come from Scotland where you've, you've got the old firm derby, so you, you know about high fever derbies, um, Lanarkshire, Hamilton and Motherwell, all of that. But how did you find that experience and the intensity of it like, in terms of the, the the just how important, how much was run, riding on those games? And like, at that point, was that your, your biggest sort of thing as a manager that you'd experienced?
0: Um, probably a difficult situation I think seeing you grow up in the west of Scotland and you've been exposed to Celtic and Rangers people talk about intensity and derbies and what it means to people and the burden and the pressure that comes with it I think even if you're a fan of one of the Old Firm I don't think you'll experience anything like the Old Firm anywhere else
1: hmm. Boca River Plate maybe
0: Yeah, to well, be honest I, I couldn't tell you about that one because it's so far away from <laughs> But in terms of, I think anything in Britain, in my opinion, if you've been exposed, whether you're a fan, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whatever, if you go to an old firm derby and realize what it means to people, I think every other old derby that you'll be involved in, you'll, you'll look at it and you'll think, yeah, it's really good and it's it's, it's everybody wants to win. But I, I'm not sure you can replicate the the. the there's families that don't talk to each other in Scotland because got <laughs> a I know, yeah.
1: fine well, mate.
0: <laughs> and you need to understand is, I've been brought up right in the middle of that all my life. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Throughout my family. My, my, my family are, like, love football, at, like top to bottom. So if there was Old Farran it they get watched and rather be at it or, or whatever. So I think when you go down, and like I said, and I would take this to the games as much as the players, I didn't, when I went down, no game really phased me. If I'm being honest, I'd probably say the most nervous I've been before a game was probably before we played Hibs in the second leg at Hamilton.
1: Why was that? Just because it was so early in your career?
0: Because it meant so much to me. Because Hamilton was my club. Hamilton Aye. gave Hamilton gave me everything that I basically had as a player and as a coach. Because without Hamilton, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had Wembley. I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So Hamilton, and not only that, I built relationships with people there over nine. years. I mean, that's a long, long time in football to be at one club, um, and and yeah, that that meant everything to me. That 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 was that was probably the most that I had. When I went to Norwich, obviously, it meant everything at the time. Um, but yeah, if I'm being honest, I never had any doubts that we wouldn't do it why i don't know because I, I think to that point everything that i had done to that point we just went and got it done and that was <laughs> it. Was really, yeah well, yeah so we we were losing to hubs two 0 on the first leg at home and went to easter road and literally i think the first ball went up to jason scott and he just went bang and banged the center back about 20 yards away and i turned right to frankie and nothing had happened and i went we're going to do it today, we're going to win. I can, set, I can just smell it off the players. And and they just went on and, and, and got the job done. And I think that switch games initially, my my thought process was to go to, obviously, their place and not lose.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: felt if we went there and didn't lose, we were going through, because I felt at home we, we would have beat them. And and when we scored the early goal, I think Callum got down the side, cut it back for John, put it in the far corner. Um, I was really confident at that point and then when we got back to their place, my mindset was Ipswich are always at that point in time under Mick, come out and blast you for 60 minutes, see if they don't score, they'll run out of steam and we'll pick them off and, and that's basically what happened and, and we picked them off and we got the goals we needed. Um, yeah, so I, I was extremely confident in, in both games that we were going to go through.
1: So it sounds like the game plan worked well. Um, Wembley itself. Now, I've got a nice wee photo ready for this for, for anyone that's watching the the podcast stream. Um, and thank you to Paul Chesterton and PHC Images for letting us use that. There's, uh, there's you in your sort of regalia after the game, lifting the trophy. How fond a memory is that for you, Alec?
0: Yeah, it's probably my most surreal moment, if I'm being honest, in my life that I've had. Um, I think there's some places. That you go to in the world, and, and you look at it, and you think that well, it feels as if it's not real. Aye, that was one of the moments for me when you when you're lifting that, and w- when we walked out for the first, when you're lining up in the teams, there's literally a sea of yellow and a sea of red, and you literally couldn't have picked two better teams to make it so like uh, diverse in terms of how different it was, and it was literally there wasn't a spare seat in the house, and the day perfect. It was hot. It was it was. Um, it was quite humid. There was no rain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I the, the pitch was perfect. It was nice and crisp. It was wet. You, you had the flame floors at each side when you walked out. Um, yeah, it was... It was um, I don't think I took it out really at the time.
1: Life's like that, though, isn't it? Because yeah. life's that kind of thing where it passes you by and it's when you reflect on it that the, the kind of gravity of the moment sets in. But what I'm trying to picture is, right, like you've you've obviously been in some big stadiums, right? But walking out, I've been to the new Wembley, right, Walk, as a fan. Walking out and just seeing the sheer size and scope of it must have been crazy. That must have been a, a, an amazing thing. That must be, you know, you get photographs in your head. Is that the photograph that's kind of stuck there?
0: Yeah, of course it is. And we have obviously got little memorials and different things. And I think my mum's got a picture of... Basically, they were right in the half line really, They were they were fortunate enough to be in the royal box, so they took pictures there, and you can see the split between the stands right around the stadium. And, Amazing. And sort, of photo grabs the, sort of grabs the magnitude, the how big it is. Um, so yeah, that, that, that like I say, it's one of the things when it's happening at the time, it's surreal, so it doesn't feel real. But but now in reflection, when you look back on it, it was. Um, yeah, that, that'll always be one of my, my fondest memories. I
1: don't know. I've got one question about that, right? And that is, you walked out in a suit and then you ran back in to get changed into your trackie. What, what was the thinking there? Was that a superstition thing? Or was it just you see yourself very much as a tracksuit manager? What, what, was the, what was the story there?
0: I don't know. I just think that I felt comfortable in a tracksuit. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm always sort of prowling up and down the line. I think the difficulty I've always had is... I went to play to managing, like basically overnight. I mean, I mm-hmm. hadn't really prepared to be a manager. I it wasn't something that I thought, yeah, I want to do that. What what actually happened to Hamilton when I got the job was they gave me as an intern for five, six, seven games, and we'll take it to the end of the season. And I'm thinking to myself, I had two really bad hip injuries. I took it for the six, seven games, and I'm thinking if somebody else comes in as a manager, the likelihood is I'm the first person they are going to get ready because I'm mm-hmm. so. Un- at the club I'd been there for nine years I was the captain I was running under 20s I was doing the 16s I, I had such an influence on things if I was going in and I wasn't contributing anything on the pitch it's the first person I'm losing you know so I thought at that point if I don't take this well God knows what I'm going to do really so so that, that, that that's where my sort of mindset was at the time um, and I'd always wore a tracksuit so I just felt comfortable wearing a tracksuit so when we walked out and we got the picture Taking for the biggest game that I'd had to that point in my career, I wanted to be in my comfort zone and, 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 and do what, sort of be what I was type thing, if you like.
1: Aye, it's it's that thing you said earlier about about no changing who you are. But um, I, I mean, I get the other thing of sort of obviously the sense of occasion demanded. That you kind of wore a suit. And, and obviously in the photos, it's, it's nice to have that. And um, I don't know, obviously I know you're, you're quite close to your mum. Was there a wee word for her saying you you had to get your suit on, make sure you look smart?
0: Um, no, I can't even really remember. I, th- I think just at that point, obviously there's there's certain etiquette when you go to Wembley, isn't there? You know, a photo, um, the manager needs to wear a suit. And and, and and I was comfortable with that. And to be fair, I'll a suit to every game. Mm-hmm. So I wore a suit to and from every game. It's just when I got there, I get changed into my working clothes, if you like, for the game, and then I would get a shower and I get changed back into my suit, and then and then go home. So um, I've I've got you no. Know, to be honest, I could probably see myself wearing a suit going forward, managing teams. Um, do I mean less so than? It wouldn't it wouldn't really have any bearing on me now than it did then. Do I mean that,
1: I, That's interesting. So do you feel you've kind of evolved and changed a wee bit in terms of? I don't know, yeah. as a manager, as a human being?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubts about that. I think that um, you love and learn, don't you? I think that as you mature, you get older. I think some of the things that I would maybe be more um, headstrong in then, I'd be less so in now. Um, and you like to think you try and improve as a person, as a manager, as whatever you're trying to do, do you know I mean? So, yeah, I, I think that naturally as time goes by, I think you try and focus on what the more important things are rather than getting smaller things.
1: What's the biggest thing you learnt looking back for your experience as Norwich City boss specifically?
0: Um, This is going to sound really quite strange because it's, in my opinion, it's a really mixed bag and I know a lot of people have their opinion. I probably didn't really have the experience of the transfer market then because, bear in mind, I went for a club in Hamilton, where we just signed free transfers. We had no money. Aye. So, to then getting thrust into However, there's some signings that I'm extremely proud of, like, say, James Madison, like, say, Ben Godfrey. I mean, guys like that who went on and, and produced some, like, well, some of the biggest transfers fees these Norwich have, have taken in. So, but I, I probably think at that point that that was probably a bit that I was exposed to that I probably wasn't ready for.
1: So how how did the signing process work when you were at the club? Obviously, I know Joe Savage was brought in, who was your scout at Hamilton, yeah. um, as 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 one of the sort of chief guys in terms of watching the players. Uh, I believe David Mcnally was the guy, for the most part, who made sure that the 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 T's and the I's were were crossed and dotted in terms of the actual contracts. But how how did the kind of procedure work if you were looking at someone to recruit? Yeah,
0: we had basically a team. Do you know what I mean. I think people seem to think that managers just decide that we're signing him and signing him. See, as a manager, you've got so many things to do on a daily basis, so many things to prepare. Do you I mean? Players to speak to, you've got teams to sort out, you've got guys that might be not taking on in the squad, you've got guys who are not starting, you've got um, how they trained that day, for intensity levels are up, if they're dehydrated, if they're not eating well, if they're filling out with their girlfriend, if they're moving house. There's so many things, For and that's only for your players you're sorting out. Then you've got your staff members as well who have got their wants and needs. So recruitment's an absolute full-time job for a team of people. Mm -hmm. So the difficulty you've got is, I wouldn't necessarily say that one person always decides that player that you're bringing in, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is the manager and the powers that be, whether it be the chief exec, whether it be the technical director, whether it be because there's so many labels for the type of people now, isn't there? But that person who runs the club, they would generally have the biggest influence whether it would happen or whether it wouldn't. You know, the Mm -hmm. one thing I David, David, in terms of opinion on players, in terms of whether we should sign them or not, didn't really get involved. David was very much, who do you want? I'll do my best to go and try and get them, which which you couldn't really hope for anything better than that. And like I say, I think there were some signings that we made that didn't pan out anywhere near as well as we would like. So,
1: like, Guy's a few examples of that, and then Guy's an example of some of the the ones that you think were the biggest hits in terms of... You've mentioned Godfrey Madison, your time at the club.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. I mean, I I, I don't think to turn around and say, this player didn't do as well on that player. I don't don't think that's fair to do. So, people make their own um, judgment on that. And like anything... The difficulty you've got, because somebody does really well somewhere else, it's never a guaranteed thing that they're going to do as well where you are.
1: No, 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 that's true.
0: There's a lot of things that come into contention for that in terms of they've got to move house, does a family get settled, does a style of play suit them. There's a whole load of things that come into that. Um, but like you said, who, who,
1: were you, who were your biggest hits then who were the three, because you mentioned Godfrey Manson, but in terms of your time at the club impacting the first team during your time there which ones were you proudest of
0: I thought Nelson Oliveira was an excellent player,
1: me too
0: I, mean, I really really liked Nelson, I do not think they have really seen the best of Nelson because I think the, the the team and the club was in transition at that point and I think if he came at a different time, I think Nelson would have been, been very very good I think Jengelbida
1: really, uh, helped keep us up in the Premier League.
0: I think he could have done, yeah. I think, he could have. yeah. I, th- I think he had the quality to do so. I think he had the the know-how in big games. You know, the, Nelson had played like thirty times for Portugal. Aye. The, the Ronaldo. So it, it wasn't a type of player that things were going to phase him. I think that Graham Dorms was a fundamental signing for us. I think when I first went in, I brought Graham was in the first window I brought in. Um, and I think Graham gave us a calmness in the ball and a bit of quality that that we probably maybe didn't have as much, and allowed me to move Johnny further forward at times as well when Wes was was getting rested and wasn't playing, um, and gave us a very good balance. So yeah, I, I think there was a couple of players there that came in, and, and obviously you've got the, like say the thing is with James and Ben, when you sign those players, you're signing them in hope that they're going to develop. There's no guarantee thing for them. You know, and I think if you look at Ben Godfrey, for instance, Ben Godfrey deserves all the credit that comes his way because the amount of development that that lad's made for the day we signed him to where he is now is remarkable. And it comes purely hard work and determination from him.
2: Um, And the
1: raw raw ingredients were obviously there as well. Um, Justin Doran, that's an interesting one because you can remember a, a very successful period in his career was at West Brom and he was playing mainly coming off the left there. Now, do you think he was always naturally a kind of tempo dictator in the middle of the park? Do you think that was his kind of natural domain, and that he would had just adapted his game, or do you think he's that versatile a player that he can he can do a sort of multitude of roles?
0: No, I, I think I think Graham did what most quality players do. I think Graham was a type of player when he was younger, and as he got older, and he maybe wasn't as sharp and maybe wasn't as pacey. Um, adapted his game, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know Graham. I played against Graham when he was at Livingston as a kid. Um, him, Robert Snodgrass, Lee Griffiths, they, they were all on the same team at Livingston. I mean, they, 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 had, a, they had a really, really good young team at that point. Equally mm-hmm. so, the two, to MacArthur and McCarthy um, and, and our team as well. So, um, we always had really hard games against them. And Graham, in terms of technically, was, was superb. Um, and at that stage, of his career brought in exactly because we had Alex who was like a sort of destroyer as a six you know mm-hmm. Alex, Alex wasn't like a sort of quarterback type he's not going to open the pitch up but what he will do is he can smell danger gets across strong physical understands the game like sort of real proper sort of stopper um, Graham gave me that sort of second one to drop out and dictate the play and then you, nah. get, you come up and try and press him and he can play past you or do you let us dictate the ball and that's the element that Graham brought to that team which at that stage, I thought was was lacking, and, and he certainly brought that.
1: He was a lovely player. Uh, you mentioned Snoddy, obviously a hero to to certain parts of the Norwich City fraternity, and I, I still think his set pieces are missed. But, but Norwich City so He's a, a great set piece taker. Were you disappointed not to get the chance to work with him? Because obviously it was it was no a great deal of time before you came that he he sort of departed.
0: Yeah. I've known Snoddy um, through other people for quite a long time, you know, and I know he's a, he's a character. Um, ah, he's a
1: wind up merchant we were talking yeah. about. On.
0: I think I think Snoddy's got one, one of the best traits you can have as a player, you know, and and, and I talk about this regularly about, about players that I've worked with, players that I've had or whatever. The best play the best players are the guys who influence games, and that's mm-hmm. the best he had. You know, he wasn't particularly quick, but you just gave him a few moments in key areas. He produced that free kick, and he produced that set piece, or he produced that cross, or he produced that goal that would change the tide of game. And and they players are um, they're worth a waiting goal because you don't necessarily need to play well to win because they can produce that moment of quality that can that can change the tide of a game.
1: Mm-hmm. Talking about about recruitment, there. Um, what did you think of the recruitment in the in the summer of twenty fifteen, sort of going into the Premier League season? Were you happy with the business that Norwich done now? I think you have spoken about this before, where it's a lot of people don't know the way that the Premier League sort of payments work for in terms of in terms of when the money goes in the bank and you can actually buy players. Now there was a lot of speculation going into that season about getting a striker in. Were you happy that we ended up eventually with Jumarciem Bacani? What was that? And, and he's a, he's a kind of cult hero to some of the Norwich City fraternity. What was he like as a character? How was it working with him and? Were you happy with the recruitment overall or is there is there areas that you would, uh, even at the time, like to have done a bit more?
0: Yeah, I think the biggest difficulty, um, and, and this isn't a criticism, this is just a fact, I think the biggest difficulty, and I think Norwich found this last season as well, um, when they, or the year before when they went up, but, but because, because Norwich basically is self-sustainable in terms of what comes in for the Premier League or what comes in for the Championship, is used on the squad. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So, if you go to some of the bigger teams in the Premier League, they'll be getting they'll be getting paid by the owners to supplement. So, if they've got a shortfall of thirty million, the owners will put thirty million in every year. Mm-hmm. And Norwich is a sustainable model where the money that they bring in is the money they use on signings, and that's basically how it works. So, that that summer was frustrating, and to be honest, I didn't actually really understand or realise why at the time until more so once I'd left and then found out the dynamics but our um, first signing that year was Robbie Brady mm-hmm. we signed Robbie Brady the day the Premier League money fell in the bank account
2: <laughs>
0: so the, the Robbie Brady deal basically went on for about seven weeks, so I was talking to Robbie in the phone, we're saying yeah we want to get the deal done, we're talking to the agent and I'm thinking "Like, why are we not getting this done and it was dragging on and dragging on and dragging on and dragging on and then only once, obviously, you have conversations. Once you've left, the reason being is the cash wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So the player, but we didn't have the money at the time, um, and 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 that's that's the reason for that is the fact that the the, the cash wasn't in. Because people think that when you go up, you got one hundred and twenty million slid into your bank. I think you get it. Well, if memory serves me right, over that period, I think you get it in four installments over the season.
1: Mm-hmm. And the first one comes quite close to the kickoff, doesn't
0: it? I think it was this, either the first week in August or the second week in August. Or something like that. It's like it was Aye. really close. But when you're a team that's went up, and what other people don't, like, people don't really understand is, see when you go up, built into a lot of the players' contracts that you've currently got, their wages will either double or they'll get a third and top of what they've got. They've also got a pot of money that they'll get for going up, which is obviously they've earned by getting up. But what it does do is you've just pretty much added a third onto your wage bill, or you've added Mm -hmm. doubled your wage bill. So if your wage bill says 30 million, you're 60 million right away when you go up. You're then also maybe committed to buying players that if you get promoted. So if you've maybe got a couple of players otherwise you wouldn't have got to try and help you get there, you might be in for 5 million for him and 10 million. So that's another 15 million quid away. And when you're in the championship, that's an educated gamble because you're thinking, well, we've got, him. we've got a better chance of getting there. But the problem we've got when we do get there, he might not be enough to keep us there, but we need to buy him for 5 million or 10 million or whatever. And then also the the, the pot of money that goes to the players, the pot of money that then goes to the staff. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of hidden costs in there that can quickly drain that cash away and leave you with not a lot of money really to, to, to invest, to try and stay in... In the hardest league in the world, which um, obviously Norwich is, is found difficult to do for, for for a few years.
1: The perennial yo-yo club. We keep hearing it. Um, now, Premier League season started pretty well. Uh, first one at Old Trafford for over a quarter of a century, which is obviously massive. Um, did you? So up until that point, right? Hamilton were plucky little Hamilton now in the Championship, probably expected to contend for promotion as Norwich were. In the English Championship, get to the Scottish Premiership, and it's like, well, it's a lot easier to stay in the Scottish Premiership for a start. So there's kind of nothing to lose. You can approach games where, for the most part, the if you if you take the exception of the the, the much bigger teams where I, I certainly elementary can maybe no gung ho, but like a, a forward thinking attitude. Now, the Premier Leagues obviously are a very different beast in that regard. Every game's hard, and some of them are against super teams, like world-class players every week. So, did you adapt your mentality or approach a great deal, do you feel, and the the team's style going into that Premier League season? Or did you try and approach it the same way? Now, I mean, what was your thinking going into it?
0: Yeah, I I think we approached it in the same way. I think we approached it with no fear. I think we approached it with uh, an aggressive approach. to go and try and win the games. I think what naturally happens in the Premier League, the Premier League humbles you pretty quickly. Hmm because I think the Premier League's the only league that I've ever worked in where you can play well regularly for a consistent period of time and not win. And, Aye. I, and, and I think that that happened to us in quite a few of the you know, I remember the game we played Stoke at home. Um, it was one of the first games. I think Cameron scored an overhead kick and it got disallowed. It would have finished two each at that point. But Jack butlin pulled off about four unbelievable saves that day. And if it was a boxing match, it would have stopped. We would have won comfortably. But at the end of the day, it wasn't a boxing match, and, and when their chance came along. And listen, I watched Norwich in the Premier League, obviously not this season, but the season before, and I thought some of the football they played was excellent, but they mm-hmm. lost. Do you know what I mean? And it's a hard one because what you'll have is you'll have a group of fans that will say, We need to win at any cost to stay in the league. And you'll have a group of fans that say, No, I want to see good and excellent football and blah, blah, blah. And 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 if we play well and go down, then that's acceptable. But it's acceptable to a point. Hmm. I mean, so there's always a fine balance in that way. And I think that that was probably my first experience, a setback, if you like, as a coach. And to find that setback in the middle of a Premier League season for an inexperienced coach is, is difficult. How did you handle that? Um.
1: Just in, in terms of what, though, because oh, in terms of from a personal perspective, firstly, how did you handle sort of uh, having that? Because to be honest, for that point, it'd been—I'm not going to say plain sailing, but it'd been an upward trajectory the whole time, yeah. right? Now, obviously, for a personal point of view, did it knock your confidence? Did it make you question your methods? Was there, there any of that element? And then, from a squad perspective, how did you handle it?
0: Um. I'd be lying if i said that i don't think i think naturally when you're not winning games you start to question everything i mean you've got mm-hmm. to um but i think as you get older the one thing i have learned in football is sometimes you win and you don't play well and sometimes you play really well and you don't want but the f- simple fact is you'll be judged purely on results because in a games timer in a month's timer and two games time Nobody remembers the performance that you played well and didn't win. What they'll rhyme off is 1-1 one, one and 5, 1-2 and... Do you understand what I mean? So, nice. so, so performances are quickly forgotten. Um, I think what happens is, yeah, you start to question, you start to question naturally your methods. You start to question whether you're going about it in the right way. Um, I think that my initial instinct was always to go and attack every team and go and try and win. And I think that when you're getting damaged by teams that have got real, real quality, and to be fair, I'd probably say certainly for the first half of the season, apart from probably the top, top teams, we didn't really get dominated by anybody. I mean, I, I think there was one game in my mind where we did, was probably Southampton away, we get Stephen Whitaker sent off the early doors, and they, they were like, Sadio Mane played for Southampton at the time, and I put Robbie against him, who's extremely quick, and... I think Manny was looked like one of the quickest things I'd seen in two legs. Honestly, he was so so quick that day; it was incredible. Um, so I, I think for the first half of the season, I, we sort of attacked it in the manner which I wanted to. I think the second half of the season, I tried to find a way to basically try and keep us in the league, and 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 sometimes I think you, you jeopardise or you try and alter, try and manipulate. How so, you, do
1: you still think that was the right thing to do, or would you do you think you still maybe just stuck to your principles, so, as it were?
0: If I'm being honest, I, I'm not sure if have made any difference at the time. You know, because Why that?
2: Think,
0: well, well, because I, I, I look at Norwich last year or the year before, and they stuck to their principles, and like I said, I thought they played extremely well at times, but they still came down. Do you know what I mean I I, I think. It, it, <laughs> So it's a really difficult one because I think when when you're on a bit of a sort of slippery slope and you're not doing so well, I think you'll have people saying you need to adapt and you need to try and change something because it's not quite working. And you'll need others saying, well, if you've got a plan, stick to your plan and do your plan. But if the plan's not quite going to plan at that point, what, what, what I think is quite easy to happen with players is I think that building confidence is not an easy thing to do. But I think taking confidence away is really, really easy to do. And I think it can happen really, really quickly. And I think that football is a game about momentum. It really Mm -hmm. is. And I think it's a case of, it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. You know, I I, I think that if if, if you can can convince the players and get them to a level where they really, really ultimately have got no doubts and believe in their mind... But that's that's difficult to do when you're not winning.
1: Aye, you know, no, and I mean? think I think that's that's probably the challenge you faced at that point. Now, the, I don't know if you felt there was a point where there was a a kind of turning point in terms of confidence and in, in, in terms of anything. But one where I sort of noticed a real difference was following the the defeat at St James's Park. Obviously, six 2 I mean, that's that that's a fair pasting. Not necessarily reflective of the game as a whole, I would say. But I definitely felt sort of watching from from my position, I don't know if you if you reflect this opinion, but it looked to me like after that point, that was when you began to go, right, we, we can go conceding this many goals. And truth be told, I think the squad's strengths lay in scoring goals rather than trying not to keep them keep them out, especially at that level. So, do you feel that was a turning point as well, like that, that kind of? And I know it's dead easy; it's one of those kind of soundbitey things. Oh, this result was a turning point, but I definitely noticed a pattern, particularly after that, where it was it, it did just look a wee bit different. Whether that was confidence, whether it was approach, whether it was whatever, it just seemed to be for me the point at where it pivoted.
0: Uh, if I'm being honest, I, I, I can't reflect on it and say it was a conscious decision at that point after that game. I think what you naturally do as a manager, but is when you feel as see ultimately your job as a manager is to try and protect your players and to put them into a, a system which gonna give them the best chance of winning games. Now that can be on transition and counterattack by sitting deep and hitting teams in transition. It can be by being really aggressive and playing topy. someday. It can by be pass, 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 pass and working the ball up the pitch. It can by be turning the ball. You can do it in a variety of different ways. I think at that point, we'd always been very much in your face, very aggressive, trying to play in your opposition's half, trying to get on top of them to not let them dominate the ball and make the game a case of who can hurt who the most. You know, that's how probably I would have seen how my team played to that point. I think once your team starts to do six goals in any given game, I think you then look at it and think, right, I need to dial this back now. Now, what I will say is I can't, like I say, I can't reflect on that game in particular and say, yeah, when that happened, I changed this and I thought I would do that. that that's certainly not in, in my memory at the moment. Um, but it wouldn't have surprised me after that when I thought, right, I need to try and protect the team a little bit more now. Do I mean? Mm. I need we don't concede as many goals. We need to give ourselves an opportunity and a chance to stay in game and hope that we can. Because the simple fact is, see if you look at some teams that come up I think there's certain teams that are suited to coming out of the Championship. And I think mm-hmm. the way Norwich played, I think the way Fulham played, I think the way West Brom played, I think they were all suited to come out of the Championship. But I think if you look at it at the moment, none of them are suited to staying in the Premier League. So if you look at the teams that have came up, like say a Burnley who have done it, a Crystal Palace who have done it, and I'm not saying that that's the way you need to go about it, because I think Leeds have proven that you can go about it in a different manner. But I think it's extremely hard to do. I think that method, of playing and playing and playing and playing and playing, the difficulty you've got is you're doing that against teams that are better at it than what you are. Aye. And, and that's where the challenge comes in. Do you stick to that and try and supplement the group and continually try and mould the group and get better players? Or do you try and find an alternative an alternative way of getting yourself a result that you need at that point in time?
1: No, and it's a fair question. Um, so obviously, kind of came out of the Premier League. How, how did you handle relegation personally, and how did the squad handle it? Now, I'd just like to touch upon. Uh, if you remember the Watford game, I can remember your interview after that Watford game, and it was. <laughs> Not to butter you up too much, but I, I found I found the, the tone and the words that you said really inspiring. You took it completely on yourself, which I thought was a brave thing to do. And I don't know if that was just the old managerial trope of, like, I'll take the blame so as the players don't, or whether you actually felt that it was completely on you. So how did you feel after after that relegation was confirmed? Because that was the first. I mean, obviously, you lose games, you have bad runs. But that was the first real failure, let's be honest, of your managerial career. So how did you handle that?
0: Yeah, listen, I'd like to think I'm really quite straightforward. There's there's no, there's no sort of hidden agendas. You can't, you cannot, as a manager, I think, take all the praise that comes your way when it goes well, and you get a pat on the back, and you've done this, and you've done that. And then when it doesn't go well, then start pointing the fingers everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Because the simple fact is, if you're going to take the praise, you need to take the criticism. And, I got all the praise for the first bit that I did, but equally, you deserve the criticism for the bit that doesn't then work out after that. Now, what you can always do is there will always be circumstances, there will always be excuses, there will always be things that you could have done better. There are always things that are out with your control. However, they were probably all there when you did well as well.
2: But you don't yeah, halt,
0: you don't harp back to them because you don't need to. So. I think at that point, when I said what I said, I can't remember the the exact words that I said, but I think it was probably a combination of both things where I probably realised that in that season that obviously I came up short and I didn't do what was required to keep the team in the league. Because the simple fact is, like when I went down, my job was to get the team out of the league. Job done, I achieved that. My second task was, can I keep the team in the league? And I didn't achieve that. So I don't think there's any getting away from that um and equally the players are culpable as well because they naturally played in the games but you've got to protect the players because ultimately if the team the club's going to move forward they're the guys that are going to do it you -hmm. know and, and like i said earlier confidence is such a volatile and such a fragile thing that you need to try and keep that intact as much as possible um and 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 that was my my way of taking my responsibility but equally trying to make sure that they hopefully were going to be in a better place for the challenge that was going to go forward for the next season
1: so in terms of that challenge what what do you think was was sort of the main difference in terms of the team in the championship sort of round 2 because the the one the one stark thing just looking statistically is the away form away form was was fairly abysmal to be honest in that second season in the championship think, Um compared to your run in the first season where you you seem to be winning just about every game in the road
0: I, I, th- I think there's two things I think that w- when you suffer a relegation with a team I think naturally there's questions asked of each other Do you understand what I mean because you, you haven't achieved your goal it's a damaging experience to get relegated and what you tend to find is where a lot of relegations is. And to be fair, I think Norwich have done extremely well um, since this time coming down. Because if you look at the midfield, that took them up the first time. Mm-hmm. Was like, and leishner and Steeperman. I mean, that, that was a sort of group of midfield players that sort of took them up. If you look at it this season, it's unrecognisable for that season. I mean, you've got Skip and you've got McLean and you've got Dowell. And do, do, I mean so it's, it's very, very and I know there's a couple of different ones like Dranchich and there's some other guys that are still there. Um, but I think what they've managed to do is evolve it, do you know what I mean, year on year. Um, and I think that's gave them an element of freshness, and more so for the manager. If you can have that churn of players, your relationship with them is always fresh. It's not tainted or mm-hmm. damaged in any way. And I think the difficulty they've had and I was quoted on saying it at the time. But the team at that point was was always getting a little bit older. I think we'd suffered a relegation together. And I think what we probably found at that point was when we came down, a lot of the players at that stage were on good money and weren't really going to get a Premier League team because they'd came down and were on too good of money for them to go to our championship team. So it was difficult to churn the squad around a little bit to create that freshness and to create those relationships that you need that have not been damaged by a relegation. Mm-hmm. So, but strangely enough, like you say, we actually started the season pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. we beat Blackburn quite comfortably. And I think come October, I think we're about the top end of the table. Um, and yeah, we went through a, a spell. I think it was after the Fulham game. We played Fulham, we beat Fulham 2-0. And The game finished two each down there and it really shouldn't have we we, we sort of played ourselves into trouble and and that was probably the start when it started to sort of decline a little bit
1: yeah it was uh, a former norwich boy chris martin that grabbed equalizer in that game and then after that there was a pretty torrid run alec there was lost seven of their last 11 games of 2016. Now, what went wrong there? Because that—that that was like the first time in in your managerial career that you've gone on a, a I mean, for the most part, a losing run like that. And I mean, in terms of the dressing room, was that was there any sort of fracture appeared? Was there anything, anything that you could kind of put your finger on to say, like? This is what really went wrong here because a run like that, it can all be sort of bad luck or just things no going your way, you know?
0: Oh, no, it wasn't. I, I think I think some of I think some of the relationships at that point had started to had start to sort of sour a little bit. Um, not, not. It's difficult to say because it's always hard to put your finger on. Do you know what I mean because it's not it's not just one individual thing. I think naturally, when results are not going so well, obviously players. Are looking at each other and looking at you and, and and equally you're looking at them so i just think at that point we, we just didn't do well enough i don't think the players were playing to their capability at that point um which well it's certainly my responsibility to get them to that stage but i think equally and i've been a player as well irrespective of what my thoughts were on anybody you still go out and give it your all every time you play but i'll go back to the phrase i used earlier it's not what you do, it's how you do it, type thing. So I think hmm. when you're in the confidence, and when everything's going well, and you're feeling wanted, and you're feeling loved, you you get that extra bit that that probably isn't there on other occasions, if that makes sense. And I think that when we had, particularly on the road, we had a couple of damaging defeats. And that confidence quickly started to drain, and and yeah, I, I think at that point, see see, see we. You see with players at a club like Norwich, because they know and understand that they need to continually fight to get out of the league or fight to stay in the league, when that motivation is not there and when it starts to not be as productive as where it should be, yeah, it can be a slippery slope. And like I said to you earlier, that that confidence type thing can, can quickly drain away really, really quite quickly.
1: And what, what did the period after that, what was that like? Because you were given a bit of time to try and steady the ship, turn it round. Did you at any point think you'd managed to kind of reimbue the team with, with that confidence and that vigour and stuff? Or by that point, was it a bit of a losing battle?
0: I, I think at that stage, I was thinking we need to try and get to a, a, a transfer window to try and churn the squad around a little bit, to try and freshen things up, you know, and, and, and we, didn't, we didn't get to a transfer window at that point. Um, and, and, and that's pretty much what it was but it, it's, it's really really difficult to put your finger on one thing so when mm-hmm. you're involved in a club and it's as big a club as like Norwich there's so many different dynamics that you try to keep a handle on and things can spiral pretty quickly um, and don't get me wrong you can get it back I think a lot of things are based on results though if you can get the results, it can hide a multitude of sins at clubs. But if results aren't going well, even the best-run clubs can start to sort of dip, if you like.
1: Mm-hmm. Overall, are you quite proud of your 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 sort of body of work at Norwich. Do you, do you, do you look back on the the time fondly and think, well, you know, I did a good job there.
0: Um. Yeah, I do yeah, yeah. I, I, I think certainly, if, if you look at. Um, a lot of the players that then went on and was successful for Norwich, a lot of them were there. I mean, the likes of Ben Godfrey's, the likes of James Madison's, Max Arnes in the academy, Jamal Lewis in the academy, um, the Murphys. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we're still, we're still, I'd love to have my time again in the second season when we came down now because I think I could have done better. I think I could have managed it better.
1: How so? What would you have done differently?
0: I I would probably describe myself as a manager at that point where it was all a nothing type thing. Do I mean because I put so many demands on the players that if it wasn't quite working, it wasn't going to be a long. I wasn't a long term manager, if you like, at that stage. I don't think.
1: Okay. I know. it Absolutely does. So what what you're telling me is new. You try and look at things a bit more holistically, rather than just game to game.
0: Yeah, well, not even just game to game. It, it, just at that point, there's it, it some nothing at that stage, really.
1: Mm. Because, and did that did that mean you would reacted quite sort of I don't know combustibly maybe if you, if the team was rubbish.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, and and, mm. and I think what you've got with that is that can only happen for a certain amount of time.
1: Mm-hmm. And then it stops being effective, did not it? If you like, like, obviously cracking up, cracking up because you always think like I mean to, to relate it to school, right? There was teachers that could keep a class quiet, we just like, sort of lifting their head or giving you a look, you know what I mean. And then there's ones that would just start shouting at you, and you would just keep throwing pencils at it or whatever you wanted to do. So it's like that kind of balance, isn't it?
0: Um, yeah, but it wasn't really like that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I just cracked up all. That That, that wasn't really. The no, game. no, no.
1: Sorry, I, did, I didn't mean that. But I just mean there's there's different ways to react, and and what I'm think you're getting at is new. You feel you would maybe be better at reacting to certain situations.
0: Yeah, i would been much more balanced now. I think I think then, not not getting success in not games that I found extremely difficult, and I didn't really know how to how to cope by not winning, If that makes sense. I been exposed to it. I was a really bad loser as a player. So when we lost, I would literally go home and I wouldn't go out that night. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I mean, I was a really bad loser. When I went into management for the first three years or whatever it was, like you say, I basically went march Arch and just won, 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 won. So when I got to the point where, where I'm not winning as much, it, it, it was, um, that was probably the biggest learning experience for me as, as a coach was when that time came. And I wish now I could go back because I think the way that I would manage now would give me longevity, if you like. Aye. Whereas at that point, the way I managed wasn't ever going to give me longevity.
1: So is that a change in your intensity or is that just a change in how you handle your emotions a wee bit? Both, I think. Aye.
0: Both, yeah. and is it
1: your time at Preston obviously who are a club with different expectations, different standard of players, Is that basically you obviously get used to losing a bit more frequently as Preston manager than you do as Norwich manager or, or even Hamilton under your tenure so like, is has that been the experience that's changed that or do you think it's just getting older, your evolution as a person
2: um,
0: No, I think it's I think it's accepting Sometimes that you're not always going to get everybody at 110% week in and week out, and how you then manage that to try and get it back round to the point where it's producing. Does that make sense?
1: Aye. Aye where, it where
0: does. I, I think a, a very little tolerance level for not producing at that point in time.
1: And do you think that created maybe a disconnect with some figures in the dressing room, and that, that sort of <laughs> led to things going awry?
0: Yeah, Potentially. Yeah, I, th- I think that's good. And listen, listen, I think that I've always been the type that i probably try and look at where i went wrong more than other people have went wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because I think you learn more that way. I think if you continually point the finger and say, well, this was the problem, that was the problem. And I think when you're in it, it's difficult not to do that. But I think now that I've had time to reflect and look back on it, I think you can look back on it and, and certainly accept your feelings and, and your misgivings and um, at the time when, when you now reflect on what happened, with a, a sort of calm head, if you like, and, and and look back on it,
1: do you think when your contract was eventually terminated that it was the right decision for the, for the club, and, and or do you think you were treated unfairly in any way?
0: Um, I think the difficulty you've got is, I think when the fans start to sort of turn against you, I think your time's always always limited at a club, you know, and. It, don't get me wrong, you can turn it around by winning games and getting results, but I think at that point, I think we would about eight or nine games left and I really needed to get to the summer to, to, to give ourselves an opportunity to try and sort of turn things around a little bit. Um, but if I'm being honest, I've never felt any sort of bitterness or any sort of... Um, yeah, any, any sort of grievance or courage whatsoever. You know, I've always felt privileged that they gave me the opportunity in the first place and... And listen, Delia and Michael I, I, I've always got on me extremely well, um, and they, they, they were extremely kind to me when I was there, so that, that was that was really nice.
1: No, that's lovely. Um, you mentioned a couple of the Academy boys a, a few minutes ago. In terms of some of those Academy talents, the likes here are Todd Cantwell's, Max Arians, uh, Jamal Lewis. Did you, sort uh, because sometimes it's very, very hard to tell when a player's 15 or 16, if they're going to make that jump by the time they're 18 or 19. Did, was there any of those that you identified at an early stage and thought, you know what, that's a top player in the making there? Or have some of them surprised you with their development?
2: Um,
0: no, I, I couldn't honestly sit here and say that I, I expected them to do what they've done. I think the one that stood out for me out of three of them, if I'm being honest, was probably Jamal because his athleticism. You know, he he was um, he was extremely athletic at such a young age, um, but no, I, I couldn't honestly sit here and, and, and take any sort of credit for saying that yeah he was going to be this or he was going to be that. Um, there there was people at the club that actually worked with the academy at that point in time. You know, because I think they signed young Maxfield Luton. I think he got him for Luton Town on a free, um, and there was there was a lot of. There was a lot of people in the academy who were big fans of Todd Cantwell at the time, um, and t- Todd's Todd's went on and done what terrifically well. So, um, yeah, I think at that stage it was difficult for me to say that no, he'd have been this or he'd have been that. So, no, I, I can't say that.
1: So obviously Hamilton, you were there for a decade. Clubs obviously still very dear to your heart. Norwich, not so long, but some great memories. Are you a Norwich fan?
0: Um. I'm a Norwich fan. I wouldn't say I'm a Norwich fan, but I think for the memories that I've got, I'm probably... It's, it's, a, it's a quite a difficult question because a lot of people have turned over since I've been there.
2: Nice.
0: But I think the best way I could probably put it is I like to see Delia and Michael do extremely well.
1: And obviously seeing all the nonsense with <laughs> the European Super League and all that, well, I mean, I've, I've gone on various channels and spoke about how I think it's, I'd, I'd much rather be, so just to give you my own story, I like the reason I started this podcast was because in that season where, I don't know if you knew when I, was like, uh, when I was doing the press conferences with you, that was in my Radio Norwich hat when I was also the club commentator that year. So you probably heard some Scottish guy, I don't know if you watched any of the highlights that the clubs, but, uh, but during that season and that whole experience, and um, some of the some of the times that we had sort of a, a way for the pressers and that it made it made me an Norwich fan and that's one of the reasons that I started this podcast but i've said in various i'd much rather have a club that is maybe yo in between the leagues but you've got an owner that you know that cares about it you've got an owner that and, and an identity and that th- that's one thing just to, to kind of push in the question a wee bit more do you, you not know, just think that it's a, a special football club in many ways, North, Norwich, because it's the one county club, it's right out the way. All the fans, like if you go to Norwich, there's no compared to to loads of places. There's not that many folk with man U top on or whatever. You walk round the city, it's Norwich City tops, you know, and that is something quite special.
0: Yeah, I've said that before. I think, I think, um, yeah. I, I, if you go in Norwich, Norwich is all consuming. It's, it's, it's. The, everybody there really supports Norwich that's the way I've, I've always seen it um, and yeah I, I think it. I think it's um, certainly when you get to the Premier League because these are big global businesses now I think Norwich is an anomaly in that because I don't <laughs> think Norwich is a big global business I see Norwich as a family club which is run really well now and had ex- well a lot of success in recent years I mean I think that to to do what they've done over the last couple of seasons, um to get up, maybe not well not stay up, but play a nice brand of football, come back down, to then rebuild that and to go back up in the manner in which they've done, um is is yeah, they've done extremely well. You know, I mean in terms of the manager, in terms of the setup. You know, I, I never met sure Weber when I was there. Um Obviously, I'd left before he came in, but yeah, you, you've got to tip your heart to him and Daniel falcon in terms of what they've managed to do.
1: Would you have liked to have worked under Stuart Weber? And, and obviously, there's a kind of there's there's a new sort of thing happening in the British game. It's kind of catching up with abroad, where you've got the sporting director head coach model. And I have noticed during this conversation, you've described yourself as a coach. Um, and that's been the, the parlance they've used. I'm not sure if that's by accident, but would you be quite happy to work under a kind of sporting model like that, where you had someone that was in charge of the kind of, let's say, the general culture, and you were coaching the team?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, h- how are they in charge of the culture? That's the bit that I don't quite get. How do you, what do you do with that?
1: So in, ter- in terms of the entire culture around the sporting institution, the, the the idea is that a sporting director will be in charge of everything from sort of training ground to stadium, um, from the, the lower levels of the youth team right up to the first team setup, and then the head coach is essentially in charge of the first team and maybe culturally things in the training ground and in the fit pitch but in terms of the club in a holistic basis, um, that lands with the sporting director. I, I think most
0: clubs are run like that anyway. I mean, because I, I think I think there's so much like I see there, so much for the manager to concern himself with and so much for the manager to do that I don't think that I don't I don't think managers are like what it used to be. Do you know what I mean? Because there's so there's so many different dynamics of clubs now. Clubs used to be a group of players, there wasn't any sort of real media attention. You know I mean, you're the cut of cameras that had come in, there wasn't agents on tap the way they are now, you haven't got social media then. Clubs have grown to the point where they're absolutely enormous now. So I think most managers, coaches, whatever the label does, I think their main priority is the team. You know, I, I think what they would like to have is is an input into what how things are going to go forward. But not when I say an input, I don't mean making the final decision. I just mean an input in terms of having their voice heard. And I'm pretty confident that Daniel Farca will have exactly that. Um
1: I so, no, no, it's definitely a partnership
0: yeah so and i think that's the way it's got to work so i think i think most clubs will be a partnership of some kind but your main responsibility and your main um role is to take care of the team and get results on a saturday and and to be honest everywhere i've worked that's pretty much been what my job's been
1: Fair play. Right, we're into stoppage time now, so I'm just going to hit you with some quick fire questions before we finish. If you're all right with that, um, so keep your answers nice and short and snappy. Or, I mean, you can go in a wee bit if you want, if you've got in particular to say, so best player ability wise you worked with at Norwich City, and if you find it hard to pick, I'll give you a top three.
0: Where's
2: I? Huh?
1: Aye, number one. Okay, Doc. Most important player during your tenure. So that's a different question. That's the one that was most important to the the operation of the the whole. Johnny Housen. Oh, interesting answer. Why Housen?
0: Because he could play in a variety of positions, and he could do. It could be a six, it could be an eight, he could put to tucked in off a side. Um, always fit, always played, always gave one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, no no dramas with Johnny. Just got on with his work.
1: Cool. One player for the current Norwich City team you would have loved to have had in your own? Uh,
0: Buendia. Or uh, Either or.
1: <laughs> See, to be fair, Buendia is the, the obvious pick there, but I get what you mean by pooky. And actually, I suppose I'm just going to fling one other wee question in. Would you would you like to have had a striker that Cameron Jerome was brilliant for Norwich City, but maybe someone that was just a bit more prolific during your time?
0: Yeah, I, I think number nine's a. They're worth a weight and gold, aren't they? You know, and I think if you look at Pookie, he had double figures in the Premier League. He scored over 20 goals twice in the Championship. Nor- Norwich's front lines, is what gets him out of the Championship. I mean, if you look at the numbers they churn out, and, and Pookie's fundamental to that. So, yeah, he's 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 an absolute diamond for them.
1: That was an interesting point you made about the midfield earlier. I've, I've kind of echoed that in a few things. Favourite manager you've come up against in your... I suppose your career as a whole, but, but maybe Norwich. Um in, in terms of how their team plays? In terms of anything, in terms of the kind of good guy there, or if you've got different answers, the best, the guy that you go going with the best and the guy whose approach you like the best or admire the most?
0: I'll, I'll I'll, take out the guy that I got on with the best and I'll just put the guy who I think... I, I would go with Bielsa. I thought his team was yeah, perfect.
1: Why is that? Because he sits in a bucket like Willey <laughs> or, will or did, you, did you just love his yeah. approach to the game?
0: Well, I, th- I think that he does this man marking system when he hasn't got the ball right which is quite easy to do but to then be extremely expansive when you have got the ball and continually do that that's not easy to do and then to do it and you can't speak the language i don't know how you do that because i'm thinking if i went to argentina and tried to coach like that over there couldn't speak a language um remarkable yeah
1: I speak Spanish, so if you get a job at uh, Boca Juniors, take me away, mate. I'll I'll be your translator. Um, Favourite game as Norwich City boss, and I mean in terms of performance, so so Wembley would obviously be the easy shout in terms of occasion and what have you, but what, what was your favourite game in terms of performance? Um, I'm
0: not quite sure. What was the game we beat up Switch at home in the league? Was it 4-1? Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, Aye, but uh, think I've not got the result to hand here. I think that's right. Uh, so because it was a derby, maybe go for that. My personal favourite, by the way, Norwich thirty-five, Nottingham Forest one. When we had let brilliant goal for Wes, brilliant goal for Johnny early on through the corner, came <laughs> out to him and he just hit that. Yeah,
0: we had another one as well at home again. Was it Brentford? I think we beat him six.
1: <laughs> uh, I we five or six wasn't it? Um, I think it was five five in that one. Uh, and then we beat Red, uh, oh no, that was after you, the Reading game, my bad, it was the team you built. Um, Okie dokie, uh, were you offered any other jobs during your time at Norwich?
0: Um, no, there was always rumours about a couple of different things, but nothing concrete. I think what tends to happen is people will sort of loosely put a wee sort of feeler out, um, but it, to be honest, at that, uh, that stage, I'm not interested in going anywhere really.
2: Fair
1: enough. If there was one thing you could change, and you might have already answered this, but there might be a slightly different way you, you can interpret it. If there was one thing you could change about your time at Carroll Road, what would it be?
0: Um, I'd like to have that second
1: season when we come back again. Aye, aye, similar to what you said earlier. Do you think Norwich City stands as your best body of work, or are you proud of your legacy at Hamilton and Preston, or Preston?
0: Um. I'd probably do it at any cool measures for different reasons, if I'm being honest. Okay,
1: expand on that.
0: Well, I think with with Norwich getting the team up and being in the Premier League, obviously, was was extremely successful for me. I think that um, to go into Preston and have them challenging for the top six for for three seasons and sell over £20 million worth of players, um, which I think before that, I I don't have sold anywhere near that a bit Fifty years before that, so do I mean that, that that's a different type of success in bringing along mm-hmm. Ben Pearson's and Ben Davies and Carl Robinsons and Jordan Hugo. who you've got to bring them on and, and, and sort of give them the platform to go on and kick on, and then naturally what I've done at Hamilton. Um, so in, in in different measures, I'm probably equally is is um contentious in terms of what I've done.
1: Fair play, uh, slightly different tack. Would you ever take one of the jobs at the old firm clubs? And do you think that's ever going to be a realistic possibility for you?
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, I, well, I think if Celtic Avengers come knocking, there's always something you would certainly you would have to sit and consider and talk about. I mean, there's no doubts about that, the magnitude of the clubs. Um, would it be a possibility? I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question. You'd have to ask them that. So I don't know. I, I could see myself managing the Scotland again at some point. When that will be, I'm not quite sure.
1: You know, but it's do, definitely not the next step for
0: you. Um, I well, the difficulty you've got when you're not working is you don't know what your next step's going to be, You know because I don't know what's going to come along my way. I mean, if there is going to be a lot of opportunities or jobs in the summer or not. So I think at this point in time, I just need to bide my time and, and, and see what comes
1: up. Do you think you'd be a good international manager? Obviously thinking of Scotland in particular. Um, I don't know. I really don't It's a know. Totally, different, totally different kettle of fish, isn't it? Because you're yeah. not working with the players week to week. It's camps, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think if I had my choice, and, and, and this is obviously like fiction, but I think if I had my choice, I would certainly like to do it maybe later on. Um, Aye. But I like the day-to-day contact with players. I like the intensity of working every day. Um, so yeah, listen, obviously, you don't know if or when or whatever happens, if it does come up. But, um, yeah, if I, if I had a preference, I'd, I'd maybe like a stab at it later on. What well,
1: do you think the current Scotland team do you think we can do in the Euros? Especially if it would be great if we could beat England.
0: Well, I, I, I think team's got a really good balance about it. I think it's probably one of the best teams that we've had in recent years. I think the midfield, in particular, really strong.
1: Aye, good, good in the midfield areas. I think we've got options up front. She Adams. Playing for Scotland is obviously good, uh, and it seems like Clark has kind of answered the, the Tierney Robertson conundrum by playing Tierney as a left centre back. Which one of them do you think's the the better player?
0: I think it's hard to to, to say better player because I think that um, I think Andy Robertson's strengths going forward, and I think Tierney equally is really good at going forward, but I think he's um, he's he's certainly more I would think more defensively minded than Andy Robertson.
1: Aye, I mean, see the real strength of him, Alec, was you know that thing that fullbacks have of when to press and when to stand off? Tierney had that innate ability for 16-17 as soon as he broke into the Celtic team, and yeah. it's something that takes certain fullbacks so long to learn, um, which is, is obviously a big thing. Um, finally, with the quick-fire ones, what's next for you? Um, I mean, are you, are you hopeful of landing a job this summer? Are you hopeful it's going to be at championship level? Um, if you could could pick one that's a kind of realistic possibility is there there any you would maybe have your eye on?
0: I I wouldn't pick one obviously because guys are in jobs at the moment and and that's an unfortunate thing that you've got to wait on working some somebody you lose their job Um, but yeah I I think I've done more than enough in the championship to deserve another another crack at it and yeah that's certainly where I would be aiming Um, and I'm just hoping that something comes up in the summer, if not I'll, I'll obviously just bide my time and Um, hopefully get myself out and about once things open up for the coronavirus and and go and watch a few different clubs um, training and that, you know, some good contacts where I can go in and watch them, so um, yeah, we'll just wait and see what happens
1: You gives a phone for a coffee if you're north of the border? Yeah, I will do Uh, No, good man Um, Last one for me is just if you had a message for Norwich City fans who will be watching this I mean, I'm hoping there's going to be a wider demographic watch it, but If if you had something that you wanted to say to Norwich City fans, what would that be?
0: Um, No, well, I just thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Really, do I mean? If if I'm reflecting on my part, um, but yeah, be good luck for the Premier League, and I I hope we stay up. Do you think we can? Yeah, of course you can.
1: Hi. Perfect. That's a good positive note to end on. Thanks very much Alex for joining us mate. It's good to catch up with you uh, and for once we didn't get too deep into the tactical stuff because that's usually what tends to happen when me and you have a discussion. Um, how annoying was that press conferences by the way? Was that the one that bugged you the most or was there others?
0: No, not at all. No, I think sometimes it was good because it allowed me to try and portray what I was trying to do and give people an understanding of why I chose to do certain things. Um So I think sometimes that can be helpful to give people an insight in terms of I've not just hush-bushed it together. I mean, there's been a bit
1: (laughs) Aye, no, good stuff. So thank you very much to Alex Neil. That's it for Hodge on Nodge this week, but the Hodge, the Hack Express doesn't stop there. I'm going to end this podcast by announcing Hack and Tackle, my new No-Nonsense podcast. So we'll just get you to wave and say cheerio, Alex, as I remove you from the screen. Thanks for joining us. Um, but I'm going to end this podcast by announcing Hack and Tackle. That's my new no-nonsense podcast, which tackles all things in the wider world of football. And also, kind of questions whether you should believe what you read in the papers and the competing agendas at everyone in the football world. So hopefully you'll be intrigued by that. I know I am. And it's going to make its debut as soon as tomorrow with a live stream. So keep your eyes locked on Hodgie the Hack. So thank you to Alex for joining us and thank you to all of yourselves for watching and for listening. Cheers on the ball city.